Our first reading today is taken from the Old Testament from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And what's being described in this reading is what the world's going to be like when the Messiah arrives. You know, we're spending the season of Advent praying for the coming of Jesus into the world once again at the end of time and judgment. But the, the, God's people have always prayed for the coming of the Messiah. And uh, in the uh, period of the prophet Isaiah, they had God's promise that God would send someone to save them. And so in this reading, the prophet Isaiah is describing what that world's gonna look like when the Messiah arrives. So we look at this reading with our eyes to try to find a um, uh, kind of a motivation for living our lives as Christians in the world today in the light of Jesus' second coming. So this is what the prophet said. On that day, on the day of the arrival of the Messiah, a shoot shall sprout from the stump of Jesse. Now Jesse was the father of King David and King David's um, kingdom had been destroyed. And so it was considered just a stump, a dead stump. But the prophet is promising that from that dead stump, a bud shall blossom. And then he goes on to say, not by appearances, shall the Messiah judge, nor by hearsay shall he decide. But he shall judge the poor with justice and decide aright for the lands afflicted. And so a sign of the coming of the Messiah was a turn from injustice to justice, where things won't be determined because of someone's mood or because of someone's prejudice, but because of what's right. And not only will it be a time of justice, but it will also become a time of peace. And this is very dramatically uh, described here because the prophet says, then the wolf shall be the guest of the lamb. Ordinarily wolves eat lambs, but in this case the lamb is having a dinner for the wolf. And the leopard shall lie down with the kid. And it's not referring to children, but to a, a baby lamb, which is called a kid. The calf and the young lion shall browse together. The cow and the bear shall be neighbors. Together their young shall rest. The lion shall eat hay like the ox. And the baby will play by the cobra's lair. Now, those of you who have children wouldn't want your children to be sticking their hands into the pit or the den of a snake. But what's being described here is a time when the opposites are getting along with one another. The seemingly impossible relationships uh, that would really speak clearly of, of peace. So those are two qualities of, the, of what it's like when the Messiah will come, justice and peace. And those of us who want to be disciples of Jesus Christ in our time 
have the obligation to work for those two things, for justice and for peace, so that we can prepare the world in which we live for the second coming of the Messiah. So that's one of the themes of the Advent season, that we are called to work for justice and peace. Saint Paul VI, who was the, um, the, the pope of my first years as a priest back in the 1970s, said famously, if you want to have peace, you have to work for justice. There's a relationship between one and the other. That there's never gonna be peace in the world unless people are in just relationships with one another. If they, if they know and experience that they are being treated fairly and justly, and they treat others that way, and that's what leads to peace. So, my dear friends, are you a woman of peace? Are you a woman of justice? Are you a man of peace? Are you a man of justice? And those are two qualities that we need to commit ourselves to as disciples of Jesus, and which we focus on in a very special way during this Advent season. Our second reading today is from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans. You know, one of the images of the Advent season is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Uh, she's often a character in the readings that we're going to be hearing in Advent. And one of the things that's, that's said about Mary is that after her experience of the angel speaking to her, calling her to be the mother of Jesus, uh, after the coming of the kings and the shepherds and the angels, it says that Mary pondered these things in her heart. And so Mary's pondering, Mary's reflecting on the meaning of what's going on in her life is a symbol of what it's supposed to be like for those of us who are trying to enter into the Advent spirit. We need to become women and men who reflect seriously about life and who reflect seriously about God's relationship with us in our lives. And what St. Paul says in the beginning part of this letter can be very helpful to us. I'd like to read the first paragraph again. This is what St. Paul says. Brothers and sisters, whatever was written previously, he's talking about the Jewish Bible, the Old Testament, was written for our instruction. In other words, the Bible was given to us as an instrument for our learning. That by endurance and by the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Another virtue for the Advent season, the virtue of hope. So the scriptures are telling us that it's important, an important part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is to be a disciple who both knows and loves the sacred scriptures, the Bible. And do we do that? I mean, would you and I be capable of doing what Mary does, of pondering of, uh, the things of God in our hearts and our minds because we know God's word in scripture? So I'd like to spend a little bit of time encouraging you to make the Bible an important part of your life. Uh, many of our Protestant brothers and sisters are celebrating this Sunday as Bible Sunday, where they focus on the importance of the Bible in the life of, the, in the life of their churches. 
Uh, Protestants are generally better about that than Catholics are. You know, they're people of the Bible. But we're supposed to be people of the Bible as well. So give me a few moments to visit with you about the Bible. And I'd like to begin by asking the deacon to bring me the book of the Gospels. You can actually, it's heavy, so you just actually stand here and show it to people, okay? Now, do you recognize the book? I mean, it's, it's what leads us in procession and out of procession as we come to worship and as we leave worship. Uh, symbolizing the fact that God's word is supposed to do what? It's supposed to lead us, lead our thinking, lead our loving, lead our doing, lead our lives. Okay? And in order for us to, to have that imprinted on our hearts as Christians, the church has given us very, very beautiful copies of the Bible. This is a, a book of the Gospels. You know, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, which tell the story of Jesus' birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension to the Father. And we make it very beautiful, not just as a decoration, but to remind us of the importance of venerating the Word of God. I don't know if you notice, but whenever uh, the deacon finishes reading the Word of God, he brings it to me and I kiss the book. And the reason I do that is, is to remind me and also for those of you who be, would be paying attention that we need to love the Bible. You know, we kiss what we love, right? And the Bible is the precious Word of God. Not only this book, but the book you have in your home. Uh, this is also a book of the scriptures that I use for my preaching. And when I finish preaching, I always kiss the book as a sign of my reverence and love for the scripture. But I hope it also communicates to you the importance of loving and venerating the scriptures yourself. What do we believe about the Bible? We believe that the, the Bible is, as we say when we read it, this is the word of the Lord. They're not just ancient texts that we read to figure out what the, our ancestors in the faith thought. We believe that God wrote this book. Now, he used human beings. When we write, we use pencils and pens and computers now. Those are the instruments that we use. But when God wrote this, the Bible, he used the in instrumentation of human beings or creativity. We believe that the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So it's truly the Word of God. And, and St. Paul tells us in the second reading that it's given to us for two purposes. For instruction, it teaches us how to think and how to act and how to love. And also it's given to us for encouragement. As St. Paul says in this reading, that we might have hope. You can sit down now. I know it's a heavy book, but thank you, Deacon, for holding it. Uh, you also, you know, we incense the Bible when we carry it in procession. It's a sign of it's sacred. It's something special going on. It's not the ordinary uh, part of life. It's an extraordinary moment in our lives. And the, the scripture is given to us by God for encouragement because we need to be encouraged. We're tempted not to, not to hope. What is the opposite of hope? There are two, two things, two sins that are the opposite of hope. One of the sins is despair. 
And hope is having trust in the future that God has planned for us. That no matter what's happening on our lives today, we believe if we're women and men of hope, that there's something to hope about in the future, that God is our Father, that God cares for us, that He loves us, that somehow He's going to make it, bring all that's going on in our lives to resolution for our good. So hope is confident, confidence in God's future. The opposite, first thing opposite is despair, which means we don't have any trust in the future at all. We, we just given up that there's any meaning to life or any goodness to the plan that God has in store for us. A second sin against hope and a more common sin against hope is a sin of, does anybody know? Despair and presumption. Presumption. There's two kinds of presumption. The first kind is presuming that we can save ourselves rather than to depend on God. That, that we can save ourselves. We don't need God. We can save ourselves. That's a sin against hope, which is an act of trust in God saving us, right? The second sin against, second kind of presumption is the presumption or the, 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 the thought that we can be saved without conversion. That we don't have to change our lives, that God will, no matter what, God's gonna have mercy, God's gonna forgive us. Uh, we don't have to pay any attention to what the scriptures tell us to do and not to do because God is so loving and merciful that no matter what, uh, we're gonna be okay. In other words, we presume in his mercy without conversion. That we presume glory without the willingness to discipline ourselves. Now, I think it's a more common uh, sin against hope today is a sin of presumption. And we don't take uh, the plan of God seriously. And we're very casual Christians in terms of the commitment to the gospel, then we're sinning against hope. And the, the season of Advent is a time for us to stir up the the embers of hope in our hearts so that we make an act of trust and hope in God's future and commit ourselves to doing our part to respond to God's grace. So love the scriptures, let it encourage you, and do not be someone who presumes um, that no matter what, you're gonna be saved. You can presume that God wants you to be saved, but you have to do your part as well, and I do too. Finally, we come to today's gospel. Uh, the star of today's gospel is John the baptizer. And uh, he is uh, the cousin of Jesus, the son of Elizabeth and Zechariah. We hear about him in the gospel of St. Luke. Um, and they're, they're, he's a cousin of Jesus because Elizabeth and Mary, the mother of Jesus, are cousins to one another. And so he's out in the, in the wilderness and he's preaching. And apparently his, his homily, his sermon was very, very brief, briefer than mine today, because the scriptures tell us that he said simply, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Now that sometimes is, is presented as kind of a negative thing, right? 
that somehow repentance is negative and, and St. John the Baptist and all those prophets who are calling us to repent look like they're mad and angry at, at us. Um, but conversion is not a sad thing, it's a happy thing. To be able to change our lives and to be better is a, is a positive thing. It should cause us joy and not cause us fear. And that's what repentance means. It doesn't mean feel bad about yourself. It means change. Allow the grace of God to change you. And the people who were coming to listen to John preach were from all parts of the country, but among them were the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And St. Paul, I mean, St. John the Baptist says something to them which I find very interesting. Because I think if I preach this way to you, you wouldn't come back every Sunday, okay? So he's preaching to these folks, and it says here, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers. You know, a brood is a family of snakes. And he's referring to the, these leaders of the Jewish people as a brood of vipers. He goes on to say, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce good fruit as evidence of your repentance. In other words, don't just pretend produce fruit in your life as evidence of your repentance. And then this is the, the, the line that I want you to, to focus on especially. He goes on to say, and do not presume, presumption, is that one of those sins I talked about? Do not presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. Abraham was the founding father of the Jewish people. And one, apparently one of the, the sins of presumption on the part of the Sadducees and Pharisees, the leaders of the Jews, is they thought that was enough to save them, that they belonged to the family of Abraham. Abraham's our father. Since we belong to this special group of people chosen by God, we don't have to worry about the fruits of repentance. For I tell you, uh, John the Baptist said, God can raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Now, I've said this before and I'll say it again because I think this is a big sin here in Philadelphia. You know, one of the, the sins of, of Catholics in Philadelphia, you know, we're, we're like sinners everywhere else, but this is a unique kind of sin that I've seen in Philadelphia, is, a, is the fact that we think because we went to Catholic schools that we're good Catholics. You know, I have many people who never go to church tell me that they are devout Catholics. And I ask him why. Well, I went to Cardinal Dougherty High School. As though that makes all the difference in the world, you know. It's a good thing, by the way, to go to Catholic schools. I'm not. But one of the dangers about so many of us going to Catholic schools is the fact that we thought that since we went to Catholic school from kindergarten through high school and then maybe into college, that's enough. That's all that God would ever ask of us. But what God wants from us is what he wanted from the Sadducees and Pharisees, is he wanted fruits of conversion in our lives. Where we came from isn't what's important, it's what we're doing now. And it's not enough for us to rest on the laurels of the past. We have to continually work to cooperate with the graces of conversion that God wants to give us.
And if we do that, we will have hearts ready for the Lord when he comes to judge us at the end of our lives and when he comes back to the world at the end of time. You know, as I've mentioned before, the, one of the prayers of the early church that we don't pray enough these days is the prayer Moranata, which means, it's, it's Hebrew, Aramaic. It means, come Lord Jesus. It should be the prayer of the church. We want the Lord to come to make this world a place of justice and peace, a place of conversion. And we want to do our part to welcome him and prepare the world for his coming by lives lived as disciples of Jesus. So read your Bible, be consoled by it, but also be challenged by it so that you might welcome the Lord when he comes. And don't forget to kiss your Bible. <laughs>